welcome everybody. It's good to see you guys this weekend and everybody watching online. Uh, thanks for joining us as well. Hope that you're having a great time and trips and vacations and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but thank you for taking the time to join together with your church family and uh, connect with God a little bit. It's great to be together and uh, it's great to, to worship together and just to connect with each other. Uh, we're in a series right now we call God Is. And uh, in this series, what we're talking about is uh, doing kind of the hard work of getting our, our hearts and mind around God's heart and mind, right? So I like to say that our lives are built from the soul up. So what we believe about God, the Bible says the heart is the wellspring of life. So what we believe about God, uh, what we trust about God is actually what we will build our lives off of. And it will define our thinking and it will define our perceptions. It will define how we interact with the Bible and how we interact with faith and how we interact with the person of God. So, so taking the time and kind of doing the work to really understand God's heart and God's mind is a, is a really, really big deal. I've said throughout this series that if I could reach into your brain and make you believe one thing, uh, what I would make you believe is that God loves you and he has your best interests in mind. God is not out to get you. He's not out to trip you up. He's not out to slam you with a bunch of burdens. That's not the way that he works at all. Uh, he's out to help you, to save you, to rescue you, to set you free, right? And he doesn't want to condemn you. He died once for all so that all could be free. He wishes that none would perish. And that is his heart and that is his mind. And if we could get into that paradigm, into that box of our thinking, then everything that we receive then from God, whether it's truth or correction or discipline or blessing, will make sense and we'll interpret all of that correctly. Uh, to kind of show you that in scripture, I've been showing you these two verses the last few weeks. John 10, 10, Jesus's words, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I've come that you may have life and have it to the full. I've come that you can have spiritual life. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Wages is what we earn for what we do. So we earn spiritual death. Jesus pays a debt he doesn't owe because we owe a debt that we cannot pay. He came to give us life or salvation and to give it to us in the full. And by full there, I don't mean the prosperity gospel stuff like claim your car, claim your hair growth, claim your fortune kind of a thing. What I mean is the deep stuff of the soul that the Bible talks about. The purpose, the happiness, the security, the contentment, the meaning, the love that God has for us, the stuff that we really, really need in our lives. Jesus comes to give us that and to give it to us in the full. So that's what he came to do. He loves you and he has your best interests in mind. How does he do that then? We've been looking at Revelation chapter three. Jesus' words again, he says, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anybody hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and eat with that person and they with me. So what is Jesus doing? He's done all that he can do to be at the door of your heart. So he made himself make sense, gave us the Bible, gave us the church, came, put skin on Christmas, Easter, gave his life, rose again from the dead. Everything that he could do to be at your front porch, but he's a knocker, he's not a kicker. 
He will not kick that door in. He's not gonna make you love him, make you believe in him, make you follow him. It's not the way that he rolls. He's gonna knock on that door. He's gonna present to you who he is and what he came to do. And if you want to invite him in, then you can do that. If you don't, you don't have to. He'll go, he'll go away, so to say. But if you're looking for that and want that, it's a click away. And when you open that door, Jesus comes in and he gives you life and gives it to you in the full. Now that paradigm is an important paradigm to function out of because into that kind of box, into that paradigm, we have inserted God's clearest definition of himself. And that's in Exodus chapter 34. So in Exodus 34, God clearly defines himself to the nation of Israel. This is a definition that is used over 30 times throughout the Bible. So the writers of the scripture, as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit, they took this definition in Exodus 34 and they pulled that golden thread all the way through scripture. So God repeats this definition again and again and again because he wants us to know that that's what he's like. And what did he say in that definition? Exodus 34 verses six and seven. He says, this is who I am. I am the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children of the, for the sin of the parents to the third and the fourth generation. So we've been looking at that definition uh, and we've been looking at God's words. These are all his words, none of them are ours. And we're just kind of walking through what those are and, and what that means to us. So we've talked about the first part of that definition, uh, we talked one week about who God is. He's the Lord, the Lord, he's Yahweh, Yahweh. Uh, what's he like? He's the compassionate and gracious God. Last weekend, Pastor Joe walked us through this idea that he is slow to anger. And now I wanna walk us through the next part of the, of the verse this weekend. So my goal this weekend is to teach you two concepts, to share with you three ramifications, and then tell you about one fear and one hope that I have for you, okay? So I wanna show you these, these two concepts. So the next part of that verse there is that God, who is God? He's abounding in love and faithfulness. What is God like? What's his heart? What's his mind? How does he roll? He's abounding in love and faithfulness. So I wanna look at this part of the verse right here, right? So let's start at the beginning. So the Bible says that God is abounding in love. So what does it mean that he's abounding in love? Because this word love for us who speak English, this word love has all kinds of different meaning to it, right? And, and uh, we've talked a little bit throughout this conversation because it's from the Old Testament. When we translated the, the Old Testament, the first part of the Bible, we translated it from Hebrew into English. And so sometimes it's good to go back into the Hebrew and understand that a little bit so we can wrap kind of our modern head around what God was saying in this ancient text. So when God says that he is abounding in love, this word love, he actually uses a Hebrew word here that's an important word. And the Hebrew word, the way that you pronounce this Hebrew word is hased, hased, right? So don't pronounce it with an English uh, uh, phonics on it, but you will pronounce it hased. You kind of get, get your throat into it a little bit. So the Bible says that God is abounding in hased, right? 
Now hased is a very interesting word in the Hebrew because the word hased is used over 250 times just in the first part of the Bible, just in the Old Testament. And what's fascinating about it for us who speak English is the word hased actually does not translate cleanly into English. There's no pure English translation for it. So when you read that word throughout the Old Testament, you'll actually see it a bunch, but the way that it will show up in English is we'll, we'll use words like this. We'll translate it love. We'll translate it steadfast love, loving kindness, unfailing love, loyal love, and actually other ways as well. We'll use a bunch of different descriptors of the word because there's nothing that cleanly translates over, right? But it's a really important thing because this is God's definition of himself, right? So when, when you look at the clearest and most concise way that God defines himself, it's here in Exodus 34. And when he's doing that, he's saying, I'm abounding in hased. So let's, let's try to get our head around this a little bit. If we were gonna use English to describe this Hebrew word and concept, what we would have to do is take three English concepts and blend them into one word, which is what hased would mean to us, right? So the first English concept that we would, would use is we would say that that love it ref, uh, it, it is defined as affection, right? So when we say, I love you, or we use the word that somebody loves us, one of the things we mean by that is we have affection for somebody. I love my mom, I love my kids, I love my dog, right? So we'll, when we say that, we use it as affection. And that's part, that's like a third of what the word hased means. And it would be this concept of like growing old together. Like I found my dream girl, uh, you know, a lobster saying, and I kissed her in a boat kind of a thing. And we grew old together. We lived happily ever after. And that concept of like affection, that is a deep live life together, go through life together, grow old together type of affection is part of what the word hased means. So when God looks at you and he says, hey, if you want to, want to understand how I think and what my heart is towards you, I'm abounding in affection for you, hased. And I love you and I care about you and I love you like a brother or a friend or a parent or a life together kind of love, right? So one of the ways that we would understand hased, one of the concepts of it is this idea of affection. Now what we would need to do in English is we would take that, that idea of affection and then we would add to that idea the idea of action. So we would look and say, if I love somebody, I do things for them or I would give my life for them. And so if we looked and said, uh, somebody that I love is in that house that's burning down, I'm going to go into that house and get them. How do I know that, how, do, how did I demonstrate my love to you? Well, I kicked the door in and went after you, right? I moved, I did something. And so when God says I'm abounding in hased, part of what he's saying is, I, I love you because I moved to you. 
I, I wasn't just like up here in heaven and be like, ah, oh, man, it really stinks what's going on with those guys on earth and that they have sin and they're not gonna be with me. He'd be like, no, I love you, so I, I moved. I stepped out of heaven, I put skin on, I was born, I lived so you could understand me, I laid my life down, I took it up again. Like, that is my chesed, and I'm abounding in that for you. Like, I, I, I lavish that action on you. I want to do that, right? So God would look and say, I, I want you to understand, I love you with an affection, and I love you in, like, action. And then the third kind of thing that we would put together in our English language to get our head around chesed would be the idea of commitment, I'm loyal to you. So think of somebody who's like absolutely loyal to somebody, right? The Falcon and Captain America. They're they're bonded to each other. Where you go, I'll go. I'll follow you. I'll live for you. I'll die for you. And then I will become Captain America, which is the greatest storyline ever in the history of storylines, right? So like like all of that, but it's that idea. Like you're my brother. You're my sister, we, we went to hell and back with each other. I am in, right? Uh, I, I, I need something from you. The answer is yes. What do you need? It's, it's that deep loyalty, that deep faithfulness. It's chesed, right? So what we would do in our English language is we would take those concepts kind of to their fullest and we would wrap that into that word and say, that's God, God is abounding in love. He has complete affection for us. He is completely committed to us. And he completely went all in on his actions for us, right? And he loves us like that. That's the guy that's standing at the door knocking, not kicking, right? He's abounding in that love, right? Now, in this definition here in in Exodus chapter 34, God says, guys, I'm abounding in chesed and faithfulness, right? So I'm, I'm abounding in love and I'm abounding in faithfulness. Now, faithfulness in the Bible is, is important to understand because in the Bible, faithfulness means stability or reliability or trustworthiness or immovability or unchangeability, right? So it's like, a, it's like a rock or a mountain. That's why in the Old Testament, you'll often hear like the, the Bible or the psalmist describe God as a rock or God is my rock or he's an unmoving rock or I'll hide in the cleft of this rock. That's often a scripture of God, why? Because it's unmoving, it's unchanging, it's completely trustworthy and you can build your life around it, right? So that is what God is like. He's stable, reliable, trustworthy. Uh, last uh, couple weeks ago, my family and I were out in uh, Zion in Utah and um, we went hiking to this place called Angel's Landing and it is super high, 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 high. And I'm, I'm a guy, I wish I wasn't like this, but I can't help it. I'm not afraid of heights as much as I just like get dizzy. <laughs> and so if I'm up really high, like everything beneath me starts to spin. It could be the roof of my house or it could be a mountain, right? And so I struggle when I'm up high. So we were up at this one place called Scout Lookout. That's what this is. And this is me looking over the edge. It's a little hard to see from your seats, but right here is a white dot 
that white dot is a double city bus. That's how high up we are. We're about five or 700 feet up. And so what I did, because everything gets dizzy, is I laid down on the rock and then I belly crawled to the edge, which is hard because I got a significant belly. And so I, I belly crawled to the edge and then I leaned over and I'm grabbing the rock and then I'm doing a selfie because I wanted to show how high that I was because I can't, if I walked to the edge, it would spin and I would fall over, right? And that's just the way it is. Now, why did I feel like I can do that? Ready? Because I trusted the faithfulness of this rock. I, I didn't think that this would crumble. I didn't think it was dirt. I didn't think it was on the edge of breaking. I was pretty confident it had been there for 10,000 years or however long it's been there. I, I felt certain about that. All I had to do was get up to the edge. I had no fear that the rock would give way. I was afraid I would give way but not that the rock would give way. And if I could get to the edge and take a picture, the view up there was incredible, right? It's stable, it's trustworthy, it's unchanging. That rock is faithful, that's what God is like. So in Exodus 34, God is looking and saying, guys, I want you to understand my heart and mind. I'm abounding in hased, affection, commitment, loyalty, action, and I'm abounding in faithfulness. I am not moving or changing or going anywhere, right? Two concepts, abounding in hased, abounding in faithfulness. Now those two concepts have three ramifications. And I really believe if we can get our head around those two concepts and trust them, God is not out to get you. He loves you and he has your best interest in mind. If we can trust those two concepts, then we can allow these ramifications to play out in our lives. And the ramifications of the truth that God says of himself, that he's abounding in hased and abounding in faithfulness, have life-changing ramifications for us, right? Here's the first one. And it's, it's awesome, it blows your mind a little bit, but here's the first one. The fact that God loves me and he's faithful to me means this. It means that that love is meant to be received and reciprocated. God's love, his hased, is meant to be received and it's meant to be reciprocated. Here's a quote for you, ready? You should write this down or if you wanted to use it as a new tattoo, it'd probably be a good one. Here it is, ready? God's love for you is a decision of his will, not a response to your worthiness. Did you catch that? God's love for you is a decision of his will. It is not a response to your worthiness. When we think about interacting with God and we think about following God and we think about living with God, right? One of the biggest hurdles that we have to get through in our relationship with God is the falsehood that we have to earn God's love. I wrote a book a few years ago called Reset, Why Discipleship Isn't About Trying Harder. And in that book, I explore this idea a lot because when I got a hold of this, it was mind boggling to me. Uh, when I grew up, I grew up in, in the church. I have a, a religious background. My folks were real religious and, and I'm grateful for it, I guess, but I grew up in the church. But I had a lot of things that got plugged into my mind because I grew up around religion. 
Most of us who grew up around religion would struggle with what I'm about ready to say. Most of us who did not grow up around religion would struggle with it because it's what our culture teaches us about God. And the struggle is this, that in order to be right with God and to be in a healthy place with God, what I have to do is work harder at it. If I could work harder to get sin out of my life, if I could work harder to eradicate bad habits in my life, if I could be more devoted, if I could be more sacrificial, if I could be more religious, then somehow that will increase God's love and acceptance of me. And I want you to hear from me that that is absolutely a false teaching, right? God's love is not something that you earn. God's love is something that you receive. And the more you try to earn it, the more that you'll miss the truth that it's already been given to you, right? Discipleship, following Jesus, is not about trying harder. Following Jesus is about resting and receiving the love that he is abounding in. He's abounding in hased, right? He's not looking at you and saying, if you could get your act together, I would love you. He's looking at you and saying, because you cannot get your act together, I haseded you. I acted. Because you cannot keep your act together, I have loved you with hased. I'm committed to you because you're going to blow it a gazillion times. And as you struggle to follow me, and as you work your faith out with, with fear and trembling, and as when you don't do the things that you want to do, but you wish you could do, like the Apostle Paul said in Romans, I am faithful to you. Well, doesn't that make you mad? No, because I, I have said you. I have an affection for you. Regardless and because you cannot bring your life into a line with me. And if we would spend the energy learning to receive and live in God's love, that we spend trying to earn it, it would be absolutely life-changing for us. Because if I could make you believe one thing, it's that God loves you, and that he has your best interest in mind, right? You guys have anybody in your life that you love and you love with your whole heart and they don't believe you? You ever had anybody in that, like that in your life? You love them and you wanna give your life to them, but they won't believe you. They can't believe that you would love them, that you would welcome them, that you would forgive them, right? Every parent in here would, would relate to this because there's times when you're raising kids that your kids, and, and I did it and you did it too, there's times that you would look at your parents and you don't believe that they love you. You believe they're trying to make your life miserable. You believe they just wanna rope you in. You believe they wanna burden you down. You believe that they're out to control you. Your children at times do not believe that you love them. And the issue, ready? 
is not the love of the parent. The issue is the reception of the children. You're not doing anything wrong in your parenting. It's that in their pain, in their immaturity, in their insecurity, and in their rebellion, they cannot or will not receive your love. You are not asking your children to earn your love. You've already given it. You hased them. You're asking them to function in your love for them, to trust in your love for them, and to build relationship in your love for them. The issue in your spiritual life is not that God does not love you. It's not that you finally screwed up one too many times. That's never the issue. The issue is not that God does not love. The issue is always that I struggle to trust in his love. I struggle to respond to his love. I struggle to create relationship out of his love. It will blow your mind and change your life if you can get your head around the chesed of God. So love is meant to be received, and then once that love is received, then what God wants is for us to reciprocate it. God would say, I chesed you, and if you said, well God, what do you want from me? He'd say, well I just want you to chesed me back. I want you to love me the way that I love you. That's where some of the Christian practices and, and, uh, and lifestyle changes come. Why do we worship God? If you're newer to the faith or you're not a Christian yet, you come to church and we sing these songs, you're like, they sound like love songs. Like if you change that from like Jesus to Judy, it would just be like a love song. Like what's it like that? Well, what are we doing? We're expressing affection to God because we believe that we receive affection from God. If somebody looked at me, if Heidi, my wife looked at me and said, I love you, I would say, well, I love you, right? We would reciprocate that love back to God. So we'll worship and we'll respond to God. Why do we serve God and give our money to God and, and gather together? Why do we not forsake the, the assembling of ourselves together? Why? Because that's, that's love put into action. I love you, so we're gonna do Feed My Starving Children because we love these kids and they're hungry. So we're gonna do something about it. I love my brothers and sisters in Christ, so when God says gather, well, I'll gather then. We're gonna serve. All we're doing is hasetting, see. As God acted toward us, we would act toward one another and toward the world around us. When, we're, when we express faith or act in trust, all we're doing is setting. We're being loyal, right? I don't always understand God, but I trust him, so I'm in. I'm in. Well, you're in for what? I don't know, but if he said, let's go, then I'm going, because I trust him. And I, my devotion, my loyalty is to him, right? Because God is abounding in hased love, and abounding in faithfulness, I receive that, and then I reciprocate it to God. That's ramification number one. Ramification number two, God's faithfulness allows for foundation. So God is abounding in love, and then he's abounding in faithfulness, and what faithfulness does in our lives is it allows for foundation, right? Here, here's what I mean by this. 
Most of us, when we look at our relationship with God, because we've never had a clear understanding of his heart and mind, and we're not receiving his love, we're trying to earn it, because we think in that paradigm, most of us have this thought, what's the one thing that I'm gonna do that's finally gonna knock God out of the game? Where he's gonna be done with me and that's it. Because most of us experience love that way. You, you do that one more time, I'm out. And so we have that mindset with God. What, what, what am I gonna do or what could I possibly do that God would finally wash his hands of me and say, you know what? I'm not doing that anymore. You know what? That part of the scripture doesn't apply to you. You know what? That part of our relationship, I'm out on that. And so most of us, instead of building life off the foundation of God's faithfulness, build life in the insecurity of our unworthiness. And we're trying to give God what he does not want from us. We're trying to earn his favor. We're trying to earn his love. And we're scared to death that if we do it the wrong way or don't do it enough or don't practice a religion properly or do the one taboo sin, that God's gonna withdraw his faithfulness from us. And so we build life from a position of fear and insecurity instead of on the foundation of who God is. When I set my life on the foundation of who God is, what I do is I start to allow his faithfulness to define me. So for instance, God's faithfulness displaces fears and allows us then to move forward with confidence. All of us have dreams, right? You got dreams, I got dreams. And, and you got dreams about things that God dreams with you. God does not dream about a new car with you. He does not dream about you hitting the lottery with him. He, he doesn't dream about those things. That's not what's going on. But you have dreams in your life that you hope for and that you want in your life. And God shares those dreams with you. Many of us have been raised in broken homes and you've got divorce on both sides of your family and you have kids. And your dream is that God could change you and change your spouse and you could have a family that's intact and your children would not have to go through the pain that you went through. That's a dream that God shares with you. The scripture gives you the pathway to that dream if you trust it. But what happens is because I don't trust the faithfulness of God, I'll start down that pathway. That pathway gets tough or that pathway has pain and I'll bounce out of that pathway and I'll take hold of it and say, I'm gonna now do this myself. I won't build my foundation off of God's faithfulness. I'll run over to the things that I think that I know and that I can control and I'll try to create it myself. We have dreams. We have dreams of breaking addictions. We have dreams of being freed from sin. We have dreams of I wanna live a different life than I lived in the past. And God would dream those dreams with you. He would want those things for you. And he would look and say, but I, you do that from me. You don't do that by adding me to what you want. 
you do that by changing what you want to what I want. You have to lean into an anchor to this foundation and you can build a life off of it, but you have to trust it and trust it all the way through. My faithfulness, I am rock solid. I am not moving. I will not crumble, see. And if you will trust that and allow me to work through that, then I will bring dynamic change to your life. Here's the third ramification, ready? God's abundance eradicates my ineffectiveness. God's abundance eradicates my ineffectiveness. It's one of my favorite passages of the Bible, 2 Timothy chapter two. Paul's talking to Timothy, he says, hey Tim, listen, here's a trustworthy saying, if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. So Paul's saying to Timothy, Tim, listen, if you're in God's end, if you're in God's end and you can totally rest in that and believe that he's not going anywhere, that, that foundation is not gonna shift. And then he says this, he says, if we disown him, he will also disown us. So God's a knocker, not a kicker. So he looks at Timothy, he says, if you're out, God's out, right? God does not make you love him. He does not make you follow him. You don't have to do those things. So if he's knocking at the door and you let him in, he's in, he's gonna stay in. If he's knocking at the door and you hide under the bed and pretend nobody's home, then you can do that, he'll go away. He probably won't hit you with a bolt of lightning. But then he says this, this is all part of the trustworthy saying. He says this, he says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot disown his own. Isn't that fascinating? So he says, Timothy, if you're in God's in, if you're out, God's out, ready? But if you stink at it, if you're, if you, if you're working out your salvation with fear and trembling, if you're trying to get your heart and head around things that are hard to get your heart and head around, if it's difficult to understand God's love and faithfulness, when you're no good at it, God remains faithful. Because if you're in, he's in, and when he's in, he doesn't get out. See? The way that Paul says this in a different place in the New Testament, he says this. He says, for it's by grace the abundant love and faithfulness of God. By grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourself, it's a gift of God, not by works so nobody can boast. You can't earn this, you can only receive this. You can't manufacture this, you just have to rest in this because God is abundant in love and abundant in faithfulness and his love for you is an act of his will. It's not a response to your worthiness. His faithfulness is unchanging. It doesn't go away, it will not shift. So you can build your life off of it, right? And when you are no good at it, when you stink at it, God's abundance eradicates your ineffectiveness. He is greater than your weakness. He is greater than your faithlessness because it is who he is. He lavishes his grace and his mercy upon you, right? So as we've gone through this definition here the last few weeks, we've been, we've been discovering this stuff, right? We kind of asked this question, who is God? Well, he's the Lord, he's the Lord, he's Yahweh, he's Yahweh. It's who he is. 
And we ask this question, like, what is he like? Well, he's compassionate and gracious and slow to anger. And this weekend, we're kind of asking this question, what's, what's he want? Well, he wants us to build your life in his abundance instead of in my insecurity, in my deficits. See who God is and build your life off of that foundation, right? Two concepts, three ramifications, one fear, one hope. Here's my fear. My fear is that many of us rob ourselves of the joy and the freedom and the power that God wants to give us. You know what the hardest concept in the Bible is? The hardest thing to believe in the Bible and the hardest thing to trust in the Bible? Ready? Is that God loves you. That's the hardest thing to believe in the whole Bible. When you hear parts of the Bible that would look and say, um, you know, if you're sexually immoral, God wants you to stop that and he thinks it's a sin. We'll, we'll believe that. When the Bible would look and say, you know what, if you're materialistic and greedy, then you don't have the heart of God. God wants you to have a heart of generosity. We'll believe that. I don't know. I mean, I'm so, I'm so greedy. Right? If, we, if we look at parts of the Bible where God says, you know what, you're faithless. I am faithless. I stink at it. Made the same commitment a thousand times and broken it every time. Right? We'll believe that. But when God looks at you in his clearest definition of himself, that is repeated 30 times through the whole book and says, I, I have said you. I love you. And I'm faithful. I'm not going anywhere. We can't hardly believe that. Because we don't think that's true. That can't be true. There's got to be a catch. There's no catch. Well, Jeff, that sounds like that sounds liberal. Well, it's not liberal. It's what, that's what God said. Well, it sounds incomplete. It's not incomplete. It's what God said. It's who he is. My fear is that because we struggle to actually believe what God said, I'm not saying it. God said it. It's the definition he gave of himself. That we rob ourselves we put ourselves in this position where I'm all, I gotta do these things to earn God's favor. I gotta do this stuff in order to be right with God. I, 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 gotta, I gotta live in this condition in order to somehow pay penance for what I did or what I didn't do or what I'm gonna do. And God would look and say, wait a minute, are you in? Because if you're in, I'm in. And you not being good at it does not dictate me being in or out. My love is a decision of my will and I have chosen to be abounding in love. So let's build life out of a different paradigm on the foundation of my love and on the foundation of my faithfulness. I fear that we rob ourselves of the freedom and the joy and the power that Jesus came to give us. One fear. Then I have one hope. And my hope is that you will actually receive the love of Christ. Because I want you to think about this. 
When you look at somebody, and we all have this in some varying degree, and you love them, but they won't trust you. You look at a person, they won't trust you. Maybe if you're not a parent yet, you might even look at like an animal that's hurting and you're trying to help them, but they're biting you. When you look at a person, you look at a thing, you're trying to, the react, the problem is not your love for them. The problem is their ability to receive it. And when we don't trust God, when we don't believe God, when we think that the truth of the scripture is not our truth, so we have to go make our own, when we don't believe that the power of God and the freedom of God is something that would belong to us, so we gotta walk away from it, it's just not gonna work. When we don't believe that God is the God of the resurrection, so he brings dead things, dead relationships, dead parts of our life back to life, when we don't receive that, it's never God. And my hope is that we can receive the overwhelming abundance of God's love. Because if I can rest in that and respond from God's love, not for God's love, and I respond to God out of that, it will blow your mind and absolutely change your life. When we fail or struggle to receive God's love, here's what we think about God. We'll, we'll think something like this. What if it's false? What, what, what if part of it's not true? What, what if the Bible's not right? What if, what if the atheists are right? What if I'm supposed to be Muslim instead of Christian? What, what, if, what, if, what if that doesn't apply to me? What, what if, we'll think about that. We will build our relationship with God off of insecurities. What might not be true, might not be real, might be a different option. We'll build that way. When we receive God's love and rest in it, the question we ask is this, ready? What if it is true? What if he does wanna heal me? What if he does wanna change me? What if he does have my best interest in mind? What if his way is a higher way and my way is the short-sighted way? What if there is a hope of heaven? What if the Bible is alive and active and will change me in my very soul? Instead of responding and building life in our insecurity, we build life in God's abundance. And because of who he is, see, it completely alters and changes and revolutionizes who we are, right? Exodus 34, God, I'm gonna to explain to you who I am. And the Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh. I'm compassionate and gracious. I'm slow to anger. I'm not looking to get you. And I'm abounding in hased and faithfulness. Right. Jesus, would you help us? God, this, I think this is hard to believe. It really is. It, it sounds too good to be true. And the gospel is too good to be true and that's why it's a gift and why you have to help us. So would you, empowering your word through your Holy Spirit, somehow weave this into the depths of our heart and mind. 
Would you help us to have faith to believe the unbelievable, God, because we need this. You are not out to get us, and you do not demand that we earn what we cannot earn. It is a gift, and it has been given. And you are at the door, and you are knocking. And the only thing between the life that you died to give us and that we want in living that life is the click of the latch. We open that door and letting you in for salvation and then all of it, not just escaping hell, but all of it, God. So in these still moments, God, would you help us to get our head around building our life on you allowing you to be the foundation and then God viewing life from that perspective forward. Press into us even now, Jesus, in your name.